another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Well, good morning. How are you? Please be seated. Thank you so much for the welcome. And uh, it's a real honor to be here again. It was a wonderful time at Life Conference for those who were there. I love Pastor Paul's session, although I must admit, uh, I haven't bungee jumped. I used to, people say to me, what's your favorite thing to do? Do you want a parachute jump? Do you want a bungee jump? I'm like, I used to fly, I used to fly planes. I used to pilot uh, for recreation. I'm, I'm like used to trying to stay in things when you're up high, not jump out of them, you know. But it was an incredible week and uh, such a great time. And you know, conference is continuing this morning. We're here. I love the theme of Overcome. And you know, it's really, it's such an honor to be back here at Life Melbourne. I, I love your pastors. Uh, I've known them for many years. When we're all a little bit younger, great to see them as growing as a family and this family, natural family and church family. And of course, Pastor Paul and Marie have been great friends for, goodness, must be nearly 30 years. You know, we've got something very special in New Zealand. There's a, a, a true relationship between churches that are kingdom focused. And so I just feel at home. I hope, I hope that's okay. Thanks so much to our worship team. You want to put your hands together for these guys. They serve us so well. I want you to have a look at the screen, and I want to talk to you today about a theme called the baker and the bread. The baker and the bread. If you have a look at the next screen, I want to tell you about an experience I had about 12 months ago when I was in New York State, New York City. I was up north in a place called Schenectady, and I was ministering there with some key business people and churches that have been working on transformation of a city that was once very prosperous and had suffered through economic downturn. And I was partnering with a whole bunch of people who were working to see the city transform. It was so exciting. But you know what it's like whenever you travel somewhere, somewhere different, ultimately you're having meals with people or you're eating or, and they'll ask you questions. Like, you know, if you're in Singapore, it'd be like, you, you tried chili crab? Have you tried chili crab? Oh, black pepper crab. You've got to try the back black pepper. You come to Melbourne, everyone's like, have you had our coffee? Have you eaten at Rita and Paul's house? You know. And of course, here I am in New York, and, and I'm in a, this little the city called Schenectady, and they say, hey, Martin, have you had Paracas bread before? I'm like, no. Should I have? Whoa, you have never had Paracas bread? And then they started to rave to me about this place called Paracas. I'm, I'm going to tell you about it. It was established in 1913. And they say that in over 100 years, that coal-fired brick oven you can see there has never, ever even had time to cool down. Over 100 years, that one little brick oven has produced Paracas bread. Now, it's so good that, that Jack Nicholson, the famous actor who lives, of course, on the west coast of America, Beverly Hills. And, and Schenectady, New York, is on the east coast of America. But every single week, Jack Nicholson has Paracas bread baked in this little corner store here in Schenectady, flowing to his place fresh every week. And there's an article that, he, that he, he commented on once where he said, I do it for one simple reason. It's simply the best bread in the world. 
And they're sitting at this table with me. He said, have you had Paracas bread? I'm like, I've never had Paracas bread. They're like, oh, tomorrow. you got to go to Paracas and, and order some bread. Now, the amazing thing about Paracas bread is there's just one loaf. Like, it, it comes in, in, in four different ways. Small round, large round, small oval, large oval. But it's just one loaf. So I went to Paracas. I went to the bakery on the corner, Fifth and West. I went in there and I, I ordered some Paracas bread and I tasted it. Do you want to know what it was like? Yeah. It was simply the best bread in the world. <laughs> and it got me to think, next slide guys, about a time in the Bible where a whole bunch of people also decided to follow because they tasted the best bread in the whole world. It's found in John chapter 6. And it's an account we're familiar with, but today I want to mess with it a little bit. I want to ask the question about the bread and the baker. Because we read in John chapter 6 that Jesus had crossed over this lake. He's got these people who are following him, literally thousands upon thousands of people. And they come to this hillside, and he's teaching them. And you know the story as well as I do, that it reaches a point in time, verse 5, when Jesus looks up and sees this huge crowd that's gathered as he's teaching. And he turns to his disciples, and he says to Philip in John chapter 6, verse 5, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Don't be surprised when Jesus asks you questions he already knows the answers to. It's like, what's the point? Well, he actually just wants to find out whether you are thinking like him. He already knew what he was going to do, but he says to Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? Philip answers him, ha. Huh. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread just for each person to even have a bite. They estimate that there is probably close to counting adults, mums, dads, children. There's close to 10,000 people present. And if everyone just had one bite, it's like half a year's wages. One of the other disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, here's a boy, and he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go amongst so many? So Jesus said, have all the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. There were about 5,000 men that were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I've read this passage hundreds of times. And I guess I've got to tell you, I picture and I have an image in my mind what this looks like. And I probably overlook the fine details of the wording there. Because I used to think it probably went something like this. That, that there's these thousands of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Uh, this little boy comes with these little loaves of bread and the fish. And Jesus lifts it up. He gives thanks for what he has. And then he says to the, to the disciples, as we read in the other Gospels, he gets them to start to distribute to the people. 
And, and I guess I just sort of thought it would probably be almost a little bit like this miracle where every time they, they gave someone a piece of bread that it, it, it somehow multiplied back within the basket where they were handing bread out and it was a supernatural miracle and, and they would just hand to somebody a portion. And I overlooked this one word. It says here, and they distributed to every person as much as they wanted. Now, you and I have all been at those barbecues, those family gatherings or church gatherings where the MC says it like this. Hey, everybody, hang on, everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's all ready. Now, listen, there's one sausage. There's one chicken drumstick. There's one risole. Uh, now, once everyone's served, if there's anything left but just one sausage, am I the only one who's been at those barbecues? That's how I pictured this thing went. It's like, whoa, whoa, hang on. Just one piece of bread, one piece of bread. There's 10,000 people here. One piece of... No, no. It says that after Jesus gave thanks, they were able to distribute to every person as much as they wanted. Like these are, these are men and women who have walked and, and are hungry and probably will have another sort of three or four hours before they get home. This wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'll just have communion, right? Portion, little... This is like... Ah, oh, give me a loaf. Actually, give me two loaves. Oh, I can do. And when I saw this passage, I read, there's this incredible spiritual principle here. It says that they took as much as they wanted, actually, till they were satisfied. But it was only after they'd given thanks. Did you realize your satisfaction is linked to your thankfulness? That your degree of being fulfilled and satisfied and having as much as you want is linked to how thankful you are for the little you already have. So a lot of people, they, they live with this sense of, of continual deferment to something they don't yet have. It's like, oh man, you know, like when I get that promotion or when I start that career, when my business reaches this stage or, or when I'm married or when I have kids or, or, or when this occurs, then, then I'll be satisfied. But there's a link here between being thankful for the five loaves and being filled and satisfied. But I actually want to take us a little bit further in the story. I want to take us now across to the other side of the lake, later in the chapter, where this miracle's taken place. Everyone's eaten as much as they want, and there's still basketfuls left over. And then we segue in the story to the account when Jesus decides to go over to the other side of the lake. The disciples get in the boat. Jesus takes a shortcut, walks on the water, gets there ahead. The next day, all the crowd are like, where's the miracle worker? Where's the one who fed us with bread where we were satisfied and, and it never ran out? Where is this guy? And they heard that he'd crossed over the lake. So, so this crowd migrates and they, they come around and they track him down. It could be 12 hours, 18 hours, 6 hours, however long. And they finally come to Jesus. And they approach him. And Jesus asks them a question. This is the question he asks them. It says in verse 22, or verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, how'd you get here? But in verse 26, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but 
for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, hmm, the work of God is just to believe in the one he has sent. Next screen. Hashtag, why are you following me? See, Jesus asked them a question. And in one sense, he answered it at the same time. He said, you're not really following me because I did a miracle. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with pursuing the miraculous. There's nothing wrong with going after healings and miracles and provision. He didn't rebuke them for that. He just said, no, that's, that's not actually your motive. You guys didn't follow me here because I, 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 I took a little loaf of bread and turned it into enough to feed 10,000. He said, that's not why you're following me. He said, you're following me because when you ate it, you were filled and satisfied. And then he asked them the question, so why are you following me? Hmm. I think the answer is in a little video clip I'm about to show you. It's a really cool video clip. It's actually by an 80-year-old rabbi called Rabbi Twersky. He's so cool. He's got a YouTube channel that's literally followed by hundreds of thousands of people. Little three-minute clips of wisdom from God's Word. I think when you see this clip, it'll answer the question of where I'm going this morning. Let's play it. And why are you eating that fish? And I says, because I love fish. He says, oh, you love the fish. That's why you took it out of the water and killed it and boiled it. He says, don't tell me you love the fish. You love yourself. And because the fish tastes good to you, therefore, you took it out of the water and killed it and boiled it. So much of what is love, right, is fish love. Right? And so, young couple falls in love. Young man and young woman fall in love. What does that mean? That means that he saw in this woman someone who he felt could provide him with all of his physical and emotional needs. And she saw in this man somebody she feels that she could write. That was love. Right? But each one is looking out for their own needs. Right? It's not love for the other. The other person becomes a vehicle for, for my gratification. Too much of what is called love is fish love. Right? An external love it's not on what I'm going to get, but what I'm going to give. We had an ethicist, Rabbi Dessler, who said, the people make a serious mistake in thinking that you give to those whom you love. And the answer is, the real answer is, you love those to whom you give. Young man, why are you eating that fish? Oh, I love fish. Oh. That's why you took the fish out of the water, you killed it, boiled it, and ate it. No, no, you, you don't love fish. You love yourself. What is so challenging about the question that Jesus posed to the followers was he didn't rebuke them for chasing after miracles or signs and wonders. He challenged them with the question, why are you following me? You're following me because your needs were met. 
Because you ate and you were filled. And then he starts this this challenging, complex discourse where he changes the narrative. He, he, He reworks the conversation to ultimately begin a conversation with the thousands of followers saying to them, let's think about why you should be following me rather than why you are. Are you following me? Because your needs are met. Or are you following the one who meets your needs? If we look at the next slide, I'm going to keep the image of these loaves before you. Because I love the narrative that then begins with Jesus. And it's a deep thing I talk about today, but let's bring it into into the simplicity of what we're asking. You see, the challenge with all of this is the fact that, that the bread that satisfies the need is so hard to distinguish between that and the baker who provided it. Because so much of what we follow of God or in Christ or our relationship is built in the early stages upon what he's done for us. I mean, I love Jesus. Why? Well, because he forgave me. He's the forgiver. Oh, I love Jesus because because he's my savior. He he saved me. Oh, I love God because he, he, he accepts me. There's... It's so hard to distinguish between the fact that there is the, the Savior and salvation, the forgiver and forgiveness, the healer and healing. But the discourse, the narrative, the, the conversation Jesus engages with these people, he says, look, I'm not challenging you about your following me because you saw a miracle. That's understandable. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, do you realize that your motive now at this point is based on the fact that you ate and you were filled? And then becomes this incredible conversation that we take out of the pages of 2,000 years ago. And we have to bring it into our life today. And the question is this. Are we following the bread or the baker? The work of God. That word work there, ergon, means occupation. What occupies you? They're like, okay, okay, well, what do we have to do? What are the works? What are things we have to do to be accepted by God? He goes... Just trust, just believe in the one who God has sent. That's the work, that's your occupation. Your occupation is to be in pursuit of or, or, or to be occupied or, or, to be, or to be overwhelmed by the one who he sent. Yeah. It's all about relationship. What happens next is humorous because I can identify he starts to talk about this thing of work. And, and the first thing that they do in verse 30 is they respond almost defensively because Jesus is messing with their heads. And, and, he, and they say to him, well, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what sign will you give that you're from God? I mean, Moses. Moses fed the people of Israel with bread that came from heaven. Now, I don't know if you realize just how powerful this is, because what's happened now is all the religious people in the room have just gone, hey, hey, hang on. So you take five loaves and you feed 10,000, and you think you're the one that we're now to follow? No, no, we're followers of Moses. Moses didn't just feed 10,000. He fed what they estimate is somewhere close to 3 million people. Oh, no, not just for one day, Jesus. No, no, he did it for 40 years. And he actually got bread from heaven. And Moses, oh, Moses did this. And I love how Jesus just goes, 
oh, oh, oh really? Really? Um, he says, I, I tell you the truth. It wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It was my father who gave you bread from heaven. Now, now this is where it gets a little bit freaky. Because what is and how does that relate to us? Well, it relates this way. In contemporary language, this is what Jesus said. Hang on, no, 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 no. Moses was the delivery boy. Moses was the delivery boy. Why are you following me? Oh, I love T.D. Jakes. Man, that guy can preach. Oh, I, I love Joyce Meyer. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Joyce. I can get up every morning at 6.30. I can listen to 15 minutes. That'll set me up for the week. Oh, my goodness. Uh, T.D. Jakes. I love T.D. Oh, oh I, I love Paul. I love Pastor Paul. Oh, I, I love Pastor Chris. I, and we are meant to honor. But Jesus just messes with their head. and He goes, no, no, no. They're the delivery boys. They're the delivery girls. You see, the challenge with this is it, it, it really gets me because the fact is I love Joyce. Oh, I, I love T.D. Jakes. I, I love the ministries God graces, but I, I don't want to fall into the trap where I, I only am ever in awe of the delivery person. Hashtag why are you following me? Well, I love the bakery. Oh, I love the bakery. I love church. I love church. No, no, I actually love church. And one of the reasons I love church is because when I'm in church, my needs are met. My need for significant friendship, belonging, community, place of acceptance. I love worship. I love worship. No, no, I, I love worship. Gosh, I love worship. You see, the bakery is the place where you can get the bread. Don't ever lose your love for the bakery. I mean, the question they ask me, oh, have you ever been to Paracas? No. Oh, let's tell you where it is. It's on the corner of Firth, the corner. Don't ever lose your love for the bakery. Because in the bakery is the bread. In the house of God is where you find relationship acceptance, a place of belonging, the development of your gifts, an environment of worship, a place of service, a place to equip and empower you. Your Sunday is what will determine what your Monday to Saturday looks like. You've got to love the bakery because it's where the bread is. But it's also where the baker is. I love love the bread. See, this this is going to mess with your head a little bit further. I'm sorry, Pastor Craig, but I'm just going to, I'm going to push that knot in, the, in that little, that sore muscle a little bit further. Because if you're listening with ears to hear, you'll understand that I'm not taking a single focus off the bakery or even the bread. But I've got to personally answer the question that Jesus asked. Are you following me because you ate and your needs were met? You see, the reason this is so messy is the conversation continues. And, and now he's messing with the people's heads, as they say in England. It does me Eden. It does me Eden. Because Jesus says, you need to be going after the bread of heaven. And they're like, well, Moses gave us that. He goes, 
Yeah, he was just, just a delivery boy. And then they said, tell us about this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread. And now this is where it really messes because you see, what he really said was this. The bread and the baker look the same. Actually, one of these is bread and one of these is the baker. But the problem is they look the same. What do you mean, Martin? Well, I mean this. He's the saviour. But I love salvation. He's the forgiver. But I love forgiveness. I love peace. I love the peace of God that passes understanding. And I hunger for it. I hunger for that peace that comes into my life to help me overcome because fear and challenges and anxieties of the realities of life. And then I come into an environment, I come to the bakery and I, I hear about this bread that's called peace and Philippians chapter four, that you can be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplications, making my request known to God, there is a peace that comes, that passes understanding that will guard my heart and guard my mind. And I'm, I'm like, I've just found bread that satisfies I should be anxious, but I don't because now there's this peace that comes from God. It's this fruit of His Spirit. It's a, it's, it's a tangible thing of itself. I, I love the peace of God. <laughs> but then He is peace. I just wish that He had used a different analogy. I wish that he'd used bread as an illustration of everything he does, everything he gives, everything he provides. And then I wish he'd, he'd described himself as something else. I mean, he does in other parts of the scripture. He talks about being that living water. He talks about being, being you know, all, all these various imageries. But no, no, in this situation, he messes with them because he goes, you know what? You've got to stop following me because, because of the bread. But you should follow me because I'm bread. I am the bread. And then it gets really funky. It gets really, really funky. He then goes into what we call the vampire scripture. They're like, well, give us this bread. And he goes, awesome. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. John chapter 6. Very few preachers preach on this. It's the vampire part, we call it. Like, it's not cool to preach in church and read Jesus' words. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you are not one with me. And at that point, the Bible says all the crowds start to disperse. I can imagine, like, oh, my goodness, cannibalism? Like, well, what are we into here? Jesus looks at his disciples. Well, you, you're going to leave me too? And they're like, no, we're not going anywhere. But actually, it's that portion that makes everything else make sense. Because all of a sudden, this is what he says. He says, yeah, don't, don't be mistaken just because the two look the same. Because the thing is, if you are following me, you will have your needs met. If you come to me, then you will be satisfied. You will find peace, you'll find love, you'll find joy, you'll worship, you'll, you'll, you'll be part of a community, you'll, you'll, you'll be part of a church, you'll, you'll find meaning, you'll find purpose. You'll find forgiveness, you'll find healing, you'll find salvation. But don't just eat what I give you. 
eat me. Consume me. Because the healing is also the healer. And peace is also a person. Do you know in the Old Testament, they, they had a thing called the bread of his presence. It was literally the shoe bread, the, the bread of his presence. And the word in Hebrew means the bread of his face. His presence. And then he says this, he says, consume me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What's he trying to say? He's, he's using the analogy. He says, when you ate the bread I gave you, what did you do with it? You, you consumed it. You, you, you received it into yourself. You digested it. It became part of you. If, if you want to know the bread and ultimately, therefore, the baker, you've got to eat me. You, you've got to bring me into you. You see, here's the challenge. And I know this is a, a, a deeper message. To be honest, I'm, I was arguing with God these last 48 hours. I'm like, God, there's so much I'd love to preach tomorrow morning. He's like, no, I want you to talk about the bread and the baker. He said, I want you to ask the question, why are you following me? Because you see, imagine if I'd gone to Paracas and I just sat in that bakery and never ordered anything. I could tell you I'd been to Paracas. Oh, man, Jack Nicholson says it's the best bread in the whole world. And you say, how was it? I'm like, I don't know. I just went to Paracas. But you imagine if I went to Paracas and I, I ate the bread and I did. And it actually is the best bread in the whole world. The best bread in the whole world. But you imagine if I sat there for an hour, I ate the bread, I looked around at the aesthetics of the bakery, and then I walked out. And I went back to my friends just before I flew home to New Zealand. And I said, oh, that was awesome. And then they looked at me and said, hey, and didn't you love the baker? Isn't he a character? Doesn't he have the coolest stories? Didn't he make you feel so welcome? Didn't, wasn't it awesome when he just put his arms around you and yeah. told you that, that it was his honor? You were, and what if I went, there was a baker? There was a baker? I, I missed the... I could, I, you see, going back to Rabbi Twersky, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with realizing that when you're in love that you'll receive. He's not telling you that, that there'll ever be a relationship where it doesn't at least begin with the sense of, oh, I love her. I love her. Why? Well, she makes me feel good. See, we, we say it all the time. We've got we to bring this even into our daily life. It's like, oh, man, I love my job. Oh, I love my job. I got the best job in the whole. Oh, man, I love my job. Why? Well, because the hours suit me. Uh, it's phenomenal pay. I, I get the best company car. Man, you should... Or is it because, you know what, when I'm doing my job, I make a difference? Oh, I love my friends. I, I, I challenge a lot of young adults, millennials. I love our young people. But I challenge them. The amount of times they say, oh, man, I, I love my friends. I love my friends. I love my friends. Why do you love your friends? Oh, I love my friends. Wow, I can't wait. I had this happen. I can't wait to see my friends. can't wait to tell them what I did. Can't wait to, I can't wait to share with my friends. Oh, I love my friends. And Rabbi Tversky would say, no, no, no. You don't love your friends. That's why you took them out of the water, killed them, boiled them, and ate them. You... <laughs> why do you love your friends? Well, I love my friends because when I hang out with them, I just I get to tell them everything I've done, and I get they I get to I get validation from my no no. 
There's a point in time when you're married or you've loved someone long enough or even a simple friendship with two brothers or uh, two women who have known each other for 30 years. There's a point in time where it segues to a sense of, I actually really love you. And so being with you at this moment is not about you meeting my need. It's what can I give you? So let's land this thing and bring it back to where we are. I love the bakery. And I love everything that the bread does. But how, how do I love the baker when he and the bread are hard to distinguish? Do I have to stop loving worship to love the one I worship? No. Does the team come? Do I have to stop loving forgiveness just to love the forgiven? No. Do I have to stop pursuing after healing and, and provision? Oh, provision. See, does my child love me because I provide for her? Yeah? Because it's what makes her know I'm a provider that ultimately makes her know I'm her daddy. I don't have to stop loving God's provision to love the provider. But I've got to learn what it means to eat him. To actually bring him into my life. And going back to that simple thing he said to with the followers. The work of God, the occupation, the thing that should consume us is knowing the one he sent. I want to finish by telling you how to do this. I remember when I had been saved about 12 months, I got saved out of a radical background. I gave my life to Christ. I loved his forgiveness. I loved his deliverance. I I love the fact that, that he changed my life. I love what he did for me. I love so much about what I'd become. I love my church. I love ministering. I love starting to serve. I had a signs and wonders ministry when I first got saved. I used to put out the signs to show people where church was and people would wonder what I'm doing. I, I had a signs and wonders ministry. I literally did. I loved everything. And, but there was one thing I just couldn't do. It was pray. I don't know what it was. I didn't mind singing and worshipping. I, I just, I couldn't pray. I just remember saying one day to a friend who'd been a Christian a few years longer than I had. Hmm. I said, I, I, I try to pray for 10 minutes and it feels like I'm praying for an hour. And I look at my watch and it's two minutes have gone. I, it felt like eating wheat bix without milk. It's like, you know, <laughs> prayer, prayer. I just had no desire to pray. I'd get bored. I'd be like, oh God, can you bless my family? Can you bless my mom? Can you save my father? Can you do this? Can you do that? God, you know, bless, bless my friends. God, help me get over this attitude, this attitude. Help me get over that sin and that temptation. And then, oh man, that's an hour. Oh, three minutes. I, and and I, I asked my friend this question. I said, how, how, how can I love prayer? He said, oh, it's simple. He said, I can help you. He said, do you want to know how to have a desire to pray? An appetite for prayer? I said, tell me. He said, I'm going to teach you a prayer that I want you to pray, but you can't pray anything else. You can only pray this prayer. I'm like, really? He says, yeah, yeah don't, don't pray anything else. I said, okay, what is it? He says, pray this. Father, give me a desire to pray. Full stop. I'm like, that's it? He says, yeah. I said, no. He's like, no, no, that's all. 
Just pray that. I don't want you to pray anything else. All this week, just pray that. So I did. Got up in the morning. Hey, God, give me a desire to pray. Amen. That night, God, give me a desire to pray. Amen. Next day, God, give me a desire to pray. A few days later, Father, I really want you to give me a desire to pray. Amen. Got towards the end of the week. Lord, please, please give me a desire to pray. Because there's so much stuff I need to see change. Give me a desire to pray. A week or two later, God, please give me a desire to pray. I need a desire to pray, God, because... I love my mom and my dad, but they don't know you. God, give me a desire to pray because I want to learn how to pray in a way that my mom and dad will give their life to Jesus. God, give me a desire to pray. I pray. A few weeks later, God, please give me a desire to pray because there's stuff in my life that's just crippling me. It's got to go. And God, please give me a desire to pray. I want to pray in such a way. God, give me a desire to pray so that my life will change. I can make a difference. I remember probably a month later, Craig, one morning I'm looking, I'm praying this one prayer, nothing but this one prayer. God, give me a desire to pray because God, I want to see prayer. I want to see things change. I want to pray for my friends. I want to pray and I look at my watch and there's an hour gone. An hour gone. Martin, how do I fall in love with the baker more than the bakery and the bread? How do I get an appetite to know him and to pursue him and to love him so that the worship and what he gives to me is not taken away? but rather is like the platform on which I stand to touch Him and receive Him and know Him. Like anything to do with what you consume, it comes from an appetite. How do I get an appetite to know Him? Because we pray. Lord, I want to know You. Amen. Jesus, I want to know You. Amen. A week later. Jesus, I want to know you because you're so good. You're amazing. God, you're above everything I pursue. You're more than the things I have. I want to know you. Stand with me this morning. I want to, I want to pray in closing. And I want to ask you in whatever way is good for you to respond, whether it's lifting your hands, whether it's it's just closing your eyes, whatever it may be. I want you to dis- disconnect momentarily from everything around you other than Him. And I want you to cry out in your own words for the bread who's the baker and the baker who's the bread. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that as we follow you, as we pursue you, as we, as we approach you in an environment where we can never, ever, ever be separate from what you do because who you are and what you do is synonymous. But I'm praying that like the woman with the issue of blood, we'll push through the noise of your provision, the noise, God, of your, of your, of your, your effect upon us and the things that we you've done. I pray we'd push through the crowd of even, God, the benefits of loving you. And we'd find you at the center and we'd touch you. And we would consume you and receive you into us. And that, God, there would be that supernatural digestion of a, of a relationship with you. 
where God will walk out of this bakery, will walk out, God, having filled ourselves with so much of what you've done, but with the ultimate smile on our face that says, I felt the embrace of the one who made it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.